So, uh, Hannah, what does it mean to talk story? Oh, that's a good question. And you're starting off my podcast by asking me a question, <laughs> and the listeners don't even know who you are. Oh, right. Well, sorry. disembodied voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, just can't, you know, you got to start. You got to start somehow. Yeah. Let's see, talking story. I mean, I think telling stories, but I feel like that is not what talking story means. No. So if I go, if I go, hey, hey, you, come, come sit. Let's talk story. You know, what comes to mind? Okay. With your, your voice there that you did, it sounds like, you know, an old person summoning <laughs> some young rascal over to sit on their knee and listen to them, tell them a story about when they were young and walked six miles in the snow to get to school. In the snow uphill both ways. <laughs> Barefoot. Barefoot. Yes. Uh, well, I, I guess I should introduce myself. Huh? Oh, we're going to wow. leave him on a cliffhanger. Yeah. So audience, um, this is my boyfriend, Talon Paul. Hello. My name is Talon Paul. <laughs> I'm his boyfriend. <laughs> really reiterating that. <laughs> uh, if you've listened to any of our recent uh, flash fiction specials, Halloween and sci-fi, uh, Talon's lovely writing was featured in both of them and your voice on the last one too. We are recording this in January uh, because Tyler is going to be taking a hiatus from the show. Uh, at the time that Ta- Talon and I are recording this, Tyler's uh, new son has not yet arrived. But by the time you guys are listening to this, he probably will have. Um, so yeah, so I am uh, pulling all of my friends and uh, my my roommate, my partner in to record uh, extra episodes with me. And yeah, teach me about stories and authors and legends and legends yes myths and legends uh my favorite thing yeah so Um, for this episode this is a little different you're not going to be telling me about one specific author uh you are going well tell me what you're going to be talking about um we're oh i didn't mean to shout at you sorry (laughs) we're we're gonna talk about um storytelling uh in regards to native american myths and legends um and kind of the distinct and interesting nature of Native American stories. Uh, because I, I am Native American, um, and what? obviously <laughs> I speak on behalf of all Indians here. Um, you love to do that? <laughs> of course, of course. No, I just want to want to talk about um, some of my favorite favorite things, and, and it all really revolves around uh, what we call talk and story. And to get back to the main question to talk story is to have a good conversation that's really all that means um so you could be talking about anything you could be talking about politics about you know that crazy thing that happened last week when you were visiting family anything it doesn't have to be like a story with plot not necessarily i mean talking stories there's more of a point to it it's it it surpasses and in my notes here, I wrote uh, the window licking exchange of what the weather is like. And you might be wondering. What, what... is window licking? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Other than what uh, my mom's dog does. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, have you ever had a good conversation with your dog? Um, it's kind of a one-sided conversation. <laughs> well, okay. So th- the reason I say window licking is because there was this kid on the bus <laughs> Oh, this is a very specific um, example. <laughs> at, at school. And he was a really weird kid. Um, and he would lick the window <laughs> at, the school, at the school. What does that have to do with conversation? <laughs> well, because anytime I would go up and try to talk to him, because like, he was picked on a lot, I would you know, say hello to him. And, and it just 
nothing ever really stuck. Um, and it was always, he always brought up um, um, something completely unrelated to what the question was. You know, I'd be like, hey, so, you know, how, how you doing there, uh, Billy Bob Joe? And he goes, hey, you want to see my Beyblade? And just kind of, I don't know, I couldn't have a conversation with him. He was so interested in licking the window that he didn't really want to talk to me. So, so window licking, to be clear, the Talon Paul original saying. It's not like a real thing. No, that no. I should have heard before. <laughs> no. Well, I I did I heard it from my dad. He, he, oh, he knew a window licker. He also too? knew a window licker when heck? he went to school. Okay, so talking story surpasses the window licking exchange of what the weather is like. Or or you know, if you're elevator talk or however you want to say that. Yeah, elevator talk. Yeah, talking story uh, can be deep. Or it can be shallow with hints of wisdom. Um, I guess the main thing is with talking story is um, I don't know, have you ever been to a powwow? I don't think like a real one. Okay. If anyone else has been to a powwow, then some of the first um, or any other type of like Indian gathering or celebration, some of the first things you'll notice is people will get together in little groups and they'll and they'll be talking back and forth. And the key thing is the exchange of laughter from these stories that you're telling and because laughing is really good medicine as we say so um the whole the whole point of getting together and talking story um is to build relationships and uh to further i don't know education i mean it's not necessarily one goal but the foundation is um communication okay so communication wisdom and laughter Laughter, I mean, I'm, laughter, I, I say, yeah. it doesn't always have to be funny, right? Because you can talk story about like a serious subject. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, other than building relationships, what's the point of talking story then? Because like in ancient Europe and stuff, they had fairy tales too. Mm-hmm. That was not necessarily the same as talking story because that's more than a conversation. But, you know, they have these stories that are supposed to pass down like parts of of the history of the land they live in or teach lessons to kids or adults. Um, so is, are there parallels to that in native American myths and legends? Yes. Um, they pass on religious beliefs, um, cultural practices, uh, taboos. Um, and there's, uh, like role models. And then there's, uh, also things to be wary of. So cautionary tales, um, and are there stereotypes for like who the role models are in their stories? Because I know when we did the Brothers Grimm uh, episode, you know, they would talk about how like there's the the stereotype in a lot of fairy fairy tales of the young, like pure woman who's going out into the world. And, you know, the whole story is about her either ignoring the warning signs and running straight into danger or like her overcoming the danger because she's so pure on the inside. Like, are there stereotypes like that in myths and legends where it's like, okay, you know, this dude is the bad guy or the good guy from the very beginning of the story. Yes, but it's not entirely clear, right? Like for, with, with many of them, um, a lot of it has to do like with the automatically, we know this person is probably um, not good or is probably going to die in the story because they're greedy or um, they, let's say, um, put their needs above other people's needs, and um, or they purposely um, don't follow rules or uh, uh, like traditions. Like social norms. Yeah, yeah. 
and so I guess there's there's that, but then um, there's like really common ones that people may have heard about, like oh, coyote's a trickster, you know, watch out for coyote. But it's not it's not universal. So, well, that's the other thing too, because like uh, a lot of the stories that you have like in our apartment here, they're very specific to the region that we live in, which is the Coast Salish region, um, and so I think a lot of the existing knowledge that like non-Indians have about Native American missing legends tends to be more like Plains Indian focused. And in, in those stories is coyote more of the trickster. Like, is that where that belief comes from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like Oklahoma area and right. Like sure, what and... region is most, I guess, uh, well-known in popular culture for their stories. Yeah. Like Oklahoma, maybe Texas, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, that that type of a region like there's the the comanches you know the lakota apache and then there's also i forget what they're man i'm forgetting the name but it's a, another famous tribe like one of the, like the biggest tribes out there in the u.s are usually have the most popular folktales that you see like like windigos and and skinwalkers and stuff those those are um the most common types of of you know myths or or legends that that you can hear from are there, um, like, beings or demons or anything that are prevalent in all Native American myths and legends, no matter the geographic location? The, there, there's an underlying, like, there's a web that kind of connects everything that I've, I've noticed so far. Like, like, eagle is usually a really big figure because uh, there's eagles all across America. Raven is another big one. Coyote. Um, and then there's this underlying thing called the the great spirit that kind of connects them but i mean also there's a similarity just in terms of like the culture and the mindset between many of the tribes in north america and i'm so that's talking about like america and canada and um up you know towards alaska but the farther south you go it starts to differentiate a little bit just in terms of beliefs and um traditions so for example, um, like there's pretty much stories behind everything that um, exists <laughs> within the within the culture. That's itself. a lot of stories. It, it's a lot of stories. Yeah. So there's like there's a story behind names, houses, places, um, coffins, coffins, uh, graves. Yes. Uh, the regalia that people wear, uh, the food that they eat, everything. In be- so nearly like every item, action. Um, method, word, and story um, has a deeper meaning to it and reason for being. So, like, there's a reason that you bathe every day. There's a reason why um, we all sit in this in this circular fashion to eat our food. There's a reason why we're sharing the food the, the way we do. Like, the, some of the most common stereotypes is, like, names. For example, like, Swift Runner. There's a story behind that. Uh, Sitting Bull. That's a famous name. There's a story behind that. Um, he who talks loud. That's another story. That's my favorite Indian name. He who talks <laughs> loud and says nothing. You know, that's there's a huge story behind it. Um, or, you know, there's other not so well-known um, names like Eagle peeing in the wind. You know, that's, that's not a, a real name, is it? <laughs> no. no I've never heard that. In fact, I've never seen an eagle pee in the wind. That'd be kind of cool, though. They've got to do it sometimes. Sure. I know. You get a little, you're walking around, you get a little drizzle. Oh, no. And you're like, hmm, is it raining? <laughs> nope. There's just an there's eagle no overhead. 
Um, but it's a different way of, of thinking and looking at the world. With many of these, these stories, what distinguishes Coast Salish stories or Northwestern stories from kind of the more plains or the East Coast stories is uh, the, the stories start out as, you know, a long time ago when the animals could walk and speak. You'll often you'll hear that all the time. Or um, you'll, you'll hear, you know, when the animals were people. So, like, among Coast Salish people, everything was believed to have a spirit. So the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, even the stones, the blades of grass, um, you know, the wind, everything. So, like, if, you know, you had a really strong blowing wind, it's like, oh, there's some animal, like, really far away having a, a breath, <laughs> doing something, <laughs> right? Well, like, ooh, he's working out, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a completely different way of thinking. And so, like, each, each being, or whatever you want to call it, had an essence or a spirit, and they all had uh, relationships with one another. And some relationships are stronger than others, and many stories talked about those relationships and how everything kind of works together. Or what, is, what forces are opposing each other um, and how to navigate those relationships. Um, you know, sometimes they talk about how certain animals came to be, how mountains were created, you know, why crows are black, um, how fire was discovered. There are creation stories about, you know, how each, you know, each tribe usually has their own creation story. This is how we came to be. Um, or this is how the earth came to be. This is how eagle came to be. This, you know, they have macro and micro creation stories. Um, and there's also benevolent spirits and malicious demons, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and then the thing that kind of connects everything from Coast Salish stories all the way to, you know, the e from West Coast to the East Coast, coast to coast, coast to as coast. you might say, is uh, what's called the Great Mystery. And that's kind of what connects the religious foundations for all these stories. So what is the Great Mystery? From what I can tell and from what I've, I've heard and kind of growing up around this stuff is there's the Great Spirit, which is um, what some people call God, but others don't. It's not really defined anywhere I've I've read or heard about um, there's the great spirit and then the, I guess the next question after that would be okay so the great spirit made everything who made the great spirit and that's kind of the great mystery if that makes sense but it's it's that's it's an oversimplification but that's about that's about it so it's kind of like a a great like celestial version of chicken versus the egg thing right. it's like you've got the great spirit or god or whatever but who created god Exactly. And yeah. nobody has an answer for that. So Yeah, or or how did he even make us? You know. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great mystery in and of itself. Okay. We all have some common ancestor, but who is that? That's a great mystery. We don't know. It it's not just, you know, who made God. It's it's more to it than that. I don't know how else to explain it. Does the great mystery show up a lot in different stories? No. I've never actually heard it explicitly talked about but it's kind of hinted hinted at if that makes sense like if you have that background knowledge some of the stories start to make a little bit more sense okay um is there a difference between the great spirit and creator because i hear creator a lot in stories but i don't hear the great spirit that often um yeah so there's i i don't know that there is a there is a difference i think they are they are synonymous but um in some of the stories they are talked about differently 
where the great mm. spirit kind of oversees earth but then there's the creator you know oh so they're whatever the storyteller needs them to be yeah kind of yeah so there's countless myths and legends associated with any tribe you come across um and most stories you know might even be lost forever um as my grandma would say left to be rediscovered and i thought that that was just beautiful uh many of those stories uh can be quite similar but are also distinct depending on the area they originate so for example a a powhatan legend is going to be fundamentally different from a coast salish legend um your grandma isn't coast salish though right no my grandma is powhatan okay Um, so did you grow up with both sets of legends or did they like trend more toward one region uh we i grew up with mostly um like plains indians so like lakota legends um apache legends and then uh, as i got older um and more familiar with my specific tribe um i got more familiar with the coast Salish stuff why is it do you think that you heard more of the like apache and lakota stories when you were a kid when your family is neither um, because that's that's who we our families were friends with, and that's who we hung out with, um, and that's what was available. Um, because we lived farther south, and you know, there's also a cultural um, difference between Coast Salish people and Plains people. From what I've seen so far, Coast Salish people are a lot more reserved, and um, they don't necessarily like going out and sharing every part of their culture with everybody whereas um some other tribes are more than willing to share and and think it's a that's the best thing to do okay one stereotype that i've heard through the rumor mill the the indian rumor mill as as we say (laughs) is that indian people are extremely uh superstitious so some tribes more than others and they for example, won't even talk about certain myths like skinwalkers that I've mentioned. Like when we were hanging out with Mondo and you said something about skinwalkers and he was like, shh, don't say and that. Said, oh, bro, you don't talk about don't that. Don't talk about skinwalkers. Yeah, we got to sponge off now. <laughs> 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 we, wa- we need to wash ourselves with this. So, so what's the fear? Like if, that if you talk about certain demons or, or myths, like it will summon them? Kind of like how, you know, you've got the the people who think that if you stand in front of a mirror and say bloody mary too many times or play with a ouija board it might invite demons in is that kind of like the same superstition a little bit yeah it it puts a target on your back um and it's insulting to them because you're not taking it seriously at that point so then um they might come after you well if you're not allowed to talk about it then how do people know that they exist how does the story get passed down? That's what's been very confusing to me. Um, and it's, I think, you know, the, the, there's survivors out there of the of experiences. and The people who snubbed their nose, uh, or thumbed their nose? What's the term? Thumbed their nose at skinwalkers and lived to tell the tale? Yeah, or, or it's people that, you know, go missing or something without explanation, and so then these old stories start coming back. Oh, okay. The other thing, uh, and I don't know if you were planning on talking about this later, but, like, a lot of these old legends, like, they're not written down, right? 
they're all passed on through oral tradition. So we didn't have pen and paper, you know. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of it is is oral tradition, and, and that's something that I've been wondering a lot about, especially as a kid. Like, how exactly does oral tradition work? Because I, you, you think, or at least I did anyway, I thought of the game Telephone. You know, I'm like, how's that going to work? Like, how are things not distorted? How can you maintain the essence when um, telling these stories and keeping them, um, I guess, as they originally were created? Well, that was something that we also, like, talked about in the Grimm Brothers episode. Because, like, when they went about collecting all of those stories, they got multiple versions of essentially the same story, depending on who they talked to. So I'm guessing it was probably similar... Uh, for a lot of the tribes like there were probably variations of every story and then at some point they kind of well I mean because they're not even are they well recorded now there's books and stuff but like do many of the stories have one kind of agreed upon form now or is it still kind of like scattered in different areas tell it different ways there's there's an essence for sure um and it's like they don't have three act structures or they don't they're not um formally i guess uh categorized or um bound if that makes sense but there's a difference in terms of um, the point of the story and how it's told um and you can tell this like for example ravens in the pacific northwest are seen as deities or the raven's a god of sorts right and but over on the east coast raven might be a trickster and he might be coming after you um you know you got to watch out for him here you know coyote has been seen to be very helpful um and a savior even a hero whereas um with the apache coyote might be oh it might be skinwalker or he's he's always out to get you you know we just started watching yellowstone and there was that episode with the coyote um and casey was looking at it and like all freaked out so is that i know that's in montana is that the more like ooh, coyotes a bad sign rather than a hero i i don't know well because uh, over in montana that kind of that's still a part of the oh yeah that's still technically coast salish right or no, in, no inland salish it's inland salish which is um they're distant cousins if i guess if that makes sense i mean and the reason they i think i don't know this obviously not a historian here but the why they're called inland salish is because i mean well we do have stories of of people who we had big tribes all along the ocean and we were we were mostly fishermen and then slowly over time people started moving farther and farther inland and again, the farther inland they moved, the more distinct they got, but they still have the same roots. Like, they still have a Salesian language, and they still have similar beliefs, but the it's now distinct, and it's a separate thing. So, I, I don't know how they would how they would see it, but I'm assuming mm, it'd be a bad omen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Not a good omen, that's for sure. So, a part of the... Um, structure of myths and legends is uh the main difference between a myth and a legend um is that a myth talks about beliefs and a legend talks about history oh interesting i thought they were synonymous no um so like myths will usually involve supernatural elements 
like gods and legends will be grounded with kings and, and heroes. Um, you know, they'll they'll talk about people and what they've done. You know, like you could have a legend about a, a great chief and you can have a myth about how Coyote saved this village from a demon, you know? So do the legends talk about real people? Uh, potentially, yeah. Because, um, like, I know there's a lot of stories where it, like, talks about some chief or something who did something, but they're also animals. So what category does that fall under, myth or legend? That'd be myth. Myth if they're animals? Yes. And legend if it's a human, probably? Well, again, that, that goes ties back to the, the cultural viewing of it is that animals were once people. So it's a little bit confusing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm at square one, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I mean, a lot of times what you hear as like explanations for these types of stories and myths and stuff is it's to scare children into, you know, staying out of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, don't go running off in the woods because basket woman's going to get you. Or sorry, don't go. Basket woman. Sorry, don't go playing on the beach at night because basket woman's going to get you. Oh, that's like a Krampus, right? Like she puts children in her basket um, and then eats yeah, them. And eats their soul. Yeah, she and um I, there's she has different origin stories um but sometimes i've heard that she was human once and she became cursed and uh at that point she became a demon and now she hunts uh children for their souls because some kids picked on her um at one at one point when she was alive and killed her so then she came back and is seeking revenge on kids Okay, so that's like the cautionary tale. Don't go out at night. Mm-hmm. Stay close to your parents, kid, sort of thing. Right. So there there are some of those that do have um, um, kind of scare the kids into, into staying out of trouble. But it, not all the stories are, are like that. A lot of the stories scare everyone into staying <laughs> out of trouble and following the rules. So I don't think it's quite as simple as they're just fairy tales you know yeah yeah no i of the ones that i've read like they seem to have a very different structure and style although um like you said like they can scare everyone into staying in line and doing what they're supposed to do because i remember reading that one story about the boys who like killed the frog or something oh yeah yeah now i'm like oh i'm very afraid to mess with frogs because that did not turn out well for them or their entire village nope nope they got they almost got the entire village killed. What was the deal with frogs specifically? Because that comes up in a lot of stories. People aren't supposed to be mean to frogs. Frogs, you know, like like let's say raven or, or eagle are, are well respected. Um, and I think part of it is because they're extremely important for um, the, the ecosystem. And if you go and just keep killing them, like they, let's say, you know, you have a bunch of frogs in a pond and you then kill them all off and then now you have a bunch of mosquitoes invading and now you can't go there anymore because you're you might get sick or something from the mosquitoes i don't know there's probably a million explanations as to why that is but specifically frogs are are seen as um sacred in particular to some tribes more than others so and and also like with these stories they're they're we're reading them in english right with all the books that I have, and they are translated from another language. So there are there is some meaning loss there, and understanding the language and the culture 
I think will give you a better understanding of the story itself. Like if you could hear it in the original language and you had the background knowledge of the culture, you would know why, um, why bear likes eating clams. You know, <laughs> like, and, I do not know why Baron likes eating clams, and and why it's significant to the story, right? Um, whereas otherwise, if you just kind of say that without the background knowledge, you're gonna be like, "What is? Why is he eating a clam? And why did the story just end with him eating a clam? It doesn't make sense." I have noticed that, like, some of the stories, uh, they end in a very peculiar way, where I'm like, "That was the end of that was the whole story there." Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I'll I'd I'd love to give you an example if you if you want to hear of one that doesn't uh follow the traditional three act well, structure. Well, I'd love to get you that and I'd love to get your reaction to it. I think you'd really really okay. really enjoy it. Uh, and, have, and ask some good questions. Let's hear a story then. Okay. Coyote traveled through the country fighting monsters and making the world ready for the new people, the Indians who were to follow. He crossed the Cascade Mountains and came into the Puget Sound country. He was hungry, very hungry. He saw Crow sitting up on the peak of a high cliff with a ball of deer fat in his mouth. Coyote looked at Crow with this fat and thought how good it would taste. Becoming hungrier and hungrier, he wondered how he could get the fat for himself. He thought hard. Then he laughed. I know what to do. I know how I can get the fat from Crow. Then Coyote came close to the base of the cliff and called, Oh, chief, I hear that you can make a good noise, a pleasing noise with your voice. You are a big chief, I know. You are a wise chief, I have heard. Let me hear your voice, chief. I want to hear you. Chief Crow. Crow was pleased to be called chief, so he answered, Caw! Oh, chief Crow, called Coyote. That wasn't much. You can sing better than that. Sing a good song for me, chief. I want to hear you sing loud. Crow was pleased again, so he opened his mouth wide and called from the cliff in a loud voice. Caw! (laughs) Of course the deer fat fell from the crow's open mouth. Coyote grabbed it quickly. Then he laughed. You are not a wise chief, said Coyote. You are not a chief at all. I called you chief just to fool you. I wanted your deer fat. I am hungry. Now you can go hungry because of your foolishness. So that one seems... I mean, the, the message of that story is like coyote tricked crow into giving him his food which is like kind of similar to some of aesop's fables i feel like you know in that they're obviously both animals but also it's kind of like hey don't let someone flatter you into giving into making a dumb mistake and basically giving them your dinner well another and here's here's what's beautiful about the way that story is told is that it's it's done so on purpose i guess in order to understand why crow was tricked you need to understand why Crow is black and why his feet are the way they are. And that comes from another story. And um, I'm not going to tell you the story, but essentially Crow um, didn't used to be all charred. He used to be a different color. He was lighter. Maybe he was white in some tales. And he saw many of the animals um, were throwing big feasts and having everybody over. And he saw how they were cooking their food and he's never seen food cooked that way before and then um, eventually he wants you know saying okay you know i'll do better i'll i'll cook a great a great feast um the way that these other people have and so he does and he um 
copies other animals. And so the other animals, you know, they're the ones that are much bigger than him. You know, they put their feet up by the fire and they're hanging out. And so he does the same, except since he's so small, he gets charred and blackened from the fire. And I guess the, the message of that story is, um, you know, don't look at what other people are doing and you don't need to copy other people because you're going to get burned. You need to understand your own capabilities. And so Crow, being all blackened now and still wanting to, um, maybe he didn't learn his lesson yet, he still wanted to be better and be the best and be recognized. So Coyote says, oh, I know how to do that with Crow. I'm going to call you Big Chief. Let me hear you roar. And Crow goes, oh, of course, you know, I am, I am Big Chief. I want to be Big Chief. And he, and he falls for it very easily. Poor Crow. Right. So does that change your idea of Crow now based off of the new information that you've gotten? Mm, now I think he's doubly stupid because he already <laughs> messed up before. Interesting. He's, uh, he's not the brightest and he's pretty vain. And what do you think about Coyote? Well, that version of Coyote seems more like the Plains trickster version because he literally tricked Crow. Mm -hmm. But you said in other stories, Coyote's like a hero. Well, I don't know if you noticed in the beginning of that, he's going around and fighting monsters and preparing for people to come. He's helping people. He's not necessarily helping other animals. So he just took a break from his uh, helping create the world for humans to... To steal some food. <laughs> yeah, because he's hungry. He's working hard. Okay, we'll let it slide. <laughs> he can get away with it this time. Um, but I thought that was an interesting structure because I feel like that story could have ended with him just taking the food. Like, I don't think he needed to have the little, like, taunting monologue at the end because the message was already pretty clear. But is that something that's kind of common in those stories? No. Uh, a lot of times it ends very it ends more abruptly, and you don't really know <laughs> what to do with it. There are a lot of those where I'm like, I don't know what the moral of that story was. I could use a couple more sentences. But on this one, I feel like I immediately knew the moral of the story. But then Coyote, like, really dug the knife in deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So along, like, these types of stories that are, you know, shared um, out and about is, um, pa and again, they're passed down through oral tradition um so one might think you know how exactly can you pass down something and be accurate about it um yeah do they have like designated people who are like the keepers of all of the stories or is it just kind of whoever hears them well i'm glad you asked because yes everyone had their roles and responsibilities um within their nation or their tribe or however you everyone con contributed um, and not everyone was a good storyteller. Uh, some people wrote stories. And, you know, it's, it's not like we're not allowed to make new stories um, nowadays. People still do. And they still are making stories. And they, they sound as they would 100 years ago. So people still make new stories, but they sound like the old stories. It's not like they're telling stories about, you know, cities and and skyscrapers and planes mm -hmm. and stuff they're telling stories that are similar to these old ones with coyote and crow and stuff yes indeed um and i mean there are lessons to learn from 
from airplanes and stuff, but it's hard to personify an airplane, you know? <laughs> it's, they don't really, it doesn't really have a personality. It doesn't really have, um... What was that, uh, kid's show with the talking train? Thomas the... Thomas the, the train? The train or Thomas something engine? Train. Thomas the steam engine. Tom- I don't know. Thomas the some. Oh, God, I'm butchering <laughs> it. But, yeah, I'm... So you you could personify an airplane, I suppose. Just slap a face on it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And and I don't see any reason why you can't. And I'm sure an airplane has a spirit of its own. I think maybe it, even every airplane has its own spirit. You know, you never know. Ooh. <laughs> but so back in in the olden days, when stories were first being created, there was a a certain person who was like in charge of collecting them and telling them and carrying on the tradition um yeah i i wouldn't say you know hey this person's a storyteller of the of the tribe and everyone has to go through him i don't think it's quite that rigid um but you know other people had their own stories and some stories probably died out because they weren't very good and um as far as like record keeping i i I think among a lot of coast tribes I know that women were in charge of like remembering family trees in particular. They were um, really good at that. I think better than the men were. Uh, But as far as like storytelling, I don't know. The most important ones I think were the most ones that had a, like a deeper effect on people are the ones that stayed around longer and circled around everywhere. You know, um, like kind of like with, the the s symbol that in in grade school you know that that oh gangster my gosh s. i still do that sometimes <laughs> right uh, that spread incredibly rapidly and very fast and no one really still knows the origin of it people have hunted maybe someone, someone needs to come it. forward and be like yo i made that design <laughs> right i mean I, I don't know i'm sure there's documentaries about it right <laughs> but it, it's it's i'm assuming it's like that things certain ones spread and and have a, a, a longevity and others kind of die out, you know, um, and it's not up to one person. As far as like recording history, there is the oral tradition, but there's also like a type of writing, I suppose. It's not really like pen and paper that we've seen, um, but there are other ways of communicating and, and recording history and it's expressed in many ways, and my favorite of which is what's commonly referred to as totem poles. So, telling a story not with words, but through carvings. Mm-hmm. Okay, how does that work? So, I mean, to some, the term totem pole is inappropriate. Um, who is some? Is this uh, Native Americans or my editor who said that powwow was an offensive term? Uh, no, some Coast Salish people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not, not others. <laughs> everyone thinks actually. I think everyone else thinks totem pole is perfectly adequate. It makes sense. You know, it's a totem and it's a pole. That's great. Um, but it's it, like in the same way that Eskimos inappropriate. So wait, why is totem pole inappropriate? Uh, because it's not a totem. It's a story. Um, so what would the appropriate term be for the things that people refer to as totem poles? Story poles. Story poles. Yeah, but there's you know different types of story poles there's not all of them are story poles so some of them are kind of (laughs) totemy you know but they all do have a story associated with them 
So I'm gonna really freak some people out by being like, "Oh, that's a cool story pole over there." They're gonna be like, "They're gonna look at you so funny." Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what. what (laughs) Um. So, uh, I mean, again, if if you do frequent the Northwest, you'll see them. Uh, They're they're not everywhere, but they they're they're much more common here than they would be in on a let's say Paris, Tennessee, or is it Texas? Uh, Paris is in Indiana. Paris, Texas. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Wait, yeah, so are, are totem poles or story poles more common in the Northwest than, like, in the Midwest? Oh, yeah. No, I don't think they even have them in the, really? in the Midwest. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, I I think it's totem poles are specifically... Is that because we a, have more trees up here? Salish. Well, there's plenty of trees everywhere. I don't, I've never been to Oklahoma. I'm sure Oklahoma has plenty has of trees. trees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they might not have, like, the most dense forest ever. <laughs> but... I just picture wheat fields or something yeah no i mean and and you'll see them all the way from alaska down to you know southern oregon they're Uh, like really common in alaska yeah i feel like the farther north you get the more you see the more you see them um i mean that's there used to be a lot more i'll say that (laughs) down here (laughs) but they they depict myths and legends uh they'll depict historical events you know large battles great chiefs heroes families triumphs failures and um almost everything in between i mean i don't think you'll see a a story poll depicting how someone uh is making waffles you know (laughs) there's there's a little bit more significance to it because it once you make a story poll it's a responsibility and because you're supposed to like keep it looking nice right yes that's the responsibility yes yeah you have to take care of it and you have to understand what the story is and you have to carry it and keep it keep it alive because without the people to share these and pass down these stories associated with with these poles uh they become almost meaningless yeah because that was gonna be my question it's like how do you read a story poll if i go look at like there's that one story poll down the road from us by the park and when I look at it, I'm just like, oh, there's a bird at the top, probably like eagle or raven or something. Raven. And there's, I think it's a bear or a wolf at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So black, how do you... Black bear at the bottom. How do you get the story out of that? Woman. Oh, um, so if you if you know, if you have the background knowledge on, it, like if you've been sitting around the campfire for a while and you listen to your grandpa and your great-great-grandpa and, you know, the, the medicine people of the of the village you know they're telling you all these stories about oh the, this is how crow is uh this is how coyote is this is how the raven is um this is how you pay respects to them if you go and you look at the carvings and you'll notice that raven and um like orca or bear and salmon and people even they're carved a, a certain way and it and you can tell that by looking at it once you get used to knowing how raven is carved yeah it has a certain somehow- beak it's hard for me sometimes to tell the difference between bear and wolf because wolf when it's carved and even painted sometimes its face looks a lot squarer than i feel like i'm used to seeing and then mm-hmm. uh raven eagle and thunderbird i still like get them wrong sometimes yeah yeah well they're they're it's it's not exact and it's different tribes depict them differently but there is similarities that you can kind of extrapolate and once you kind of understand what raven is um, and what salmon woman is, and what black bear is, and their essence, their their spirit, their personality, who they are, you can kind of see um, 
uh, you can kind of extrapolate what the story is. And the whole point of it, too, is you're not necessarily going to know word for word what the story is just by looking at it, but you'll go and talk to the person who made it. And you'll say, okay, what, do, what is this? What does this mean? And then What if they're you. not around anymore? Well, hopefully they pass it on to somebody else. And then they take that responsibility of taking care of that, that story. And also, like, you know, knowing, you know, you hear the phrase, oh, you don't want to be the bottom on the totem pole. <laughs> <laughs> the low man on the potem toll, as low, my sister says. The low man on the potem toll. That's right. Because um, there is hierarchy to it as well. But the thing you told me that I didn't know about before was uh, it's even worse to be facing the opposite direction <laughs> as all of the other people on the on the totem pole. Right? Oh, and oh, yeah. Why is that? Uh, because that's it's it's shameful. You know, it'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like if you were assigned a, a job, like a very easy job. Um, like, let's say your job is to fold paper in halves or something and you just completely fail. Surprisingly difficult to get the edges lined up. Or let's say thirds, you know, um, or and then or let's say you're supposed to like deliver this message and you completely mess up and then you come back and they might you know, raise a totem pole in your honor, <laughs> but they'll face it the wrong way so that it's shameful. That still doesn't make any sense to me. Cause like, why would you go through all the trouble of carving a totem pole for someone that's so, not worthy? So that you can tell everyone else who sees it, Hey, don't be like this guy. This is really important. This is how not to do it. Oh, that hurts. That's like, they're taking a lot of time to ridicule you. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, they might even make you, oh, they probably wouldn't make you carve it because uh, you might not be good at it. I mean, on <laughs> the bright side, at least you still get immortalized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You get fame, you know, even if it's for a bad thing. Sure. And I mean, and also, again, different tribes have different um, insults and and uh, um, praises. And that's what I really appreciate about Indian people in general. Um, but, you know, obviously I'm biased towards towards my tribe what um, yeah yeah i'm very tribal tribalistic <laughs> you might say um is that there's there's a reason behind everything we do there and and the reason to tell stories and to tell them in a way that leaves you um asking questions is to allow the conversation to continue um and stories are are passed around during almost every occasion right if you go to learn how to fish hunt carve sing or or anything else right that you might go to try and learn like that's let's say culturally relevant um you may notice that the actual task or skill that you're trying to learn becomes the secondary reason behind continuing to come and learn it uh, the main reason is to build relationships and have conversations and share stories and um, learn the meaning behind what you're doing and why things are done the way that they are because if you um you know you can you can go through the motions and you can say all the right things you know you can you can learn the phrases of the language but if you don't know what they mean it's it there's no power behind it so was that true of your childhood too like when your dad was teaching you to do different stuff did he like suddenly segue into a story oh yeah every time every really? yes every time we it, it quickly became it not about learning um how to fish let's say it quickly became teaching me responsibility and how to fend for myself 
you know and why let's say a fire is built a certain way you know what's the meaning behind it because when you have emotion behind what you're doing um, and intention then that's when um, that's when things happen let's say so for let's say like when you're building the fire how we got fire in the first place there's many stories behind that um, but what when you got fire there was an exchange of some sort right before some of the stories I've heard is before we lived in darkness and um, you know we were naked and we um, kind of wandered around almost aimlessly and we were unable to fend for ourselves and unable to 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 cook food we didn't even know what that what it meant to cook food until um, someone brought us fire and showed us okay you know here's here's how you do this but the exchange from that was now um, now you gained a responsibility um, and you you lost something you lost a little bit of, of, of naivety now you know you understand that okay I can cook this food you know if I cook it too long then it's charred and then the food's useless um, and now you know with this new scene light I can see oh my god I'm naked it's like Adam and Eve, like, finally becoming aware of the fact that they're naked. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, got to put some clothes on now. Got to put some clothes on now. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, do we have some stories we want to share? Yes, of course. Are we to that part of the, the podcast now? Mm, I believe so. These stories teach us to be conscious of our actions and to think about where and how we fit into this world. They teach us how to behave and how to treat others. And they show us deeply rooted religious ideas and lessons. And most importantly, they teach us not only how to act or when to act, but why to act. That's deep. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) The Northern Lights and Creatures of the Sky The Northern Lights come from the fires of a tribe of dwarf Indians who live many moons' journey to the north. These dwarves are no taller than half the length of a canoe paddle. They live in the, on the ice, and they eat seals and whales. Although they are small, they are so strong and hardy that they can dive into cold water and catch whales with their hands. Then they boil out the blubber and fires built on ice. The lights we sometimes see are from the fires of those little people boiling whale blubber. The dwarves are evil spirits, or skookums, and so we dare not speak their names. Stars are the spirits of Indians and of all the animals and birds and fish that have ever lived on the earth. Comets and meteors are the spirits of departed chiefs. The rainbow is an evil being associated in some way with Thunderbird. It is armed at each end with powerful claws. With these claws, it seizes anyone who comes within reach. Thunderbird is a giant Indian living on the highest mountain. His food is whales. When hungry, he puts on the head of a huge bird and a pair of giant wings. He covers his body with feathers and ties lightning fish around his waist. Lightning fish has a head as sharp as a knife and a red tongue which makes fire. When Thunderbird flies toward the ocean, his wings darken the sky and their movement makes a loud noise. When he sees a whale, he throws lightning fish into its body and kills it. Then he carries the whale back to the mountains and eats it. Sometimes lightning fish strikes a tree with his sharp head and tears it to pieces. 
Sometimes lightning fish strikes a man and kills him. Whenever it strikes a tree or anything else on land, the Indians try hard to find some part of it, for lightning fish has special spirit powers. Even a piece of its bone, which is bright red, will give the man who finds it skill in whale fishing and other kinds of work. I feel like that story didn't make sense <laughs> and ended in a way that didn't make sense. Hmm, I wonder why. Where's my three-act structure? <laughs> we started off talking about dwarves, which, by the way, half the length of a canoe paddle. That's like the most niche um, <laughs> description of how short something is ever. Well, you know, most canoe paddles were the same size. So can everyone knew what, the, yeah, how big that are was. Are they talking like a big canoe paddle? Because the canoe paddle that my parents have is really short. So if a dwarf is half that length, it would be like a foot tall. Foot, three feet, you know, depends on the paddle, I guess. <laughs> very, so, very small, buff Indians. <laughs> <laughs> so the dwarves make the the skookums. Is that how you say it? Skookum, I think. They make the northern lights by burning whale fat. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Th- Thunderbird comes in and he takes a fish that's like really sharp and he throws it at a whale to kill it. And well, yeah, the in this story, I think the lightning is the fish that he throws. Oh, so the fi- the fish is not a real fish. It's lightning. He's striking yes. the whale with lightning. Yes. And okay. it's lightning fish. But it's not a fish. Right? Well, how do you know? Well, that's what I said at first. <laughs> I was like, he throws a sharp fish at the whale. And you were like, no, the fish is the lightning. I think, yeah, I think that's that's the, the it's swimming down and attacks oh, okay. whatever. I think that's what I'm getting from the story. I've noticed in a lot of these uh, stories that they tend to place birds higher than most of the other creatures because there's a lot of stories where birds kill whales or like contend with whales and i get all dwight Schrute and i'm like a bird could never kill a whale well birds fly right which means in some ways or maybe the way they are closer to great spirit so they have um great spirit you know looks upon them a lot more because they're literally in the way you know eagle flies highest eagles closest to creator that's why he's usually probably held with such high regard okay and the most powerful too okay was there anything else i missed from that story other i I got how the northern lights were created and uh lightning probably how how complex some of these stories can be i didn't know there were indian dwarves out there (laughs) (laughs) you know what kind of what kind of Lord of the Rings stuff is this? Snow White stumbles upon these dwarves burning whale fat. She's like, "What?" I know, I know, and it's and all these trippy lights. It, it's not just about coyote messing with crow. There's like dwarves. There's demons. There's um like some of my some of my favorite um like my favorite demon stories is of um, a lake near Mount St Helens. And it's a lady who's in there, who's a demon, and she'll come up in the water. And the rule is, do not disturb still water. If you find a body of water that's nice and flat, do not disturb it. Because there's probably a demon in there who likes it that way. Um, If animals avoid it, frogs, um, beavers, whatever, if there's nothing swimming around in there, you don't want to either. Or let's say if the water's boiling, you want to avoid that. There's probably a demon in there. Why would the water ever be boiling? 
Um, we went and saw some boiling water. Oh, okay. I get it's a hot springs. Hot springs. But you can go to hot spring. <laughs> well, it depends on how hot it is. Um, but anyway, so this demon, you'll you'll know to run when it sticks its head up, and it <laughs> yep, I would and run. it sticks its right hand out, and it has its thumb up and its pinky up, and all of its other fingers are down, and it shouts. Here, let me let me see if I can find it. I, I gotta find the the word it shouts. It's it's pretty good. Okay, so it says, um, she would lift her head and right arm from the water, raise her thumb and little finger, close her middle fingers, and say, here is my Wa'achi. The Indians would then flee in terror. What's a Wa'achi? I don't know, but that's what they call it, Lake Wa'achi. Hmm. I feel like that's almost bad advice, though, to avoid still water. Like, you should go jump in the rapids instead, because at least they're not still. Well. Isn't still water what you should swim in? No, you don't really want to because of um, bacteria growth. You don't really want to drink still water either. Oh. And you don't want to take it for cooking. So that is good survival advice. Perhaps it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's our next story? Our next story is... Thunderbird and whale, right? Oh, yeah. Do you want to read it? Yeah. Thunderbird is a very large bird with feathers as long as a canoe paddle. There we go with the canoe paddles again. <laughs> When he flaps his wings, he makes the thunder and the great winds. When he opens and shuts his eyes, he makes the lightning. In stormy weather, he flies through the skies, flapping his wings and opening and closing his eyes. Thunderbird's home is a cave in the Olympic Mountains, and he wants no one to come near it. If hunters get so close that he can smell them, he makes the thunder noise and he rolls ice out of his cave. The ice rolls down the mountainside, and when it reaches a rocky place, it breaks into many, many pieces. The pieces rattle as they roll farther down into the valley. All the hunters are so afraid of Thunderbird and his noise and his rolling ice that they never stay long near his home. No one ever sleeps near his cave. Thunderbird keeps his food in a dark hole at the edge of a big field of ice and snow in the Olympic Mountains. His food is the whale. Thunderbird flies out to the ocean, catches a whale, and hurries back to the mountains to eat it. One time, Whale fought Thunderbird so hard that in the battle, trees were torn up by their roots. Even to this day, there are no trees in Beaver Prairie because Whale once fought so hard to keep from being killed and eaten. At the time of the Great Flood, Thunderbird fought a long, long battle with Killer Whale. He would catch Killer Whale in his claws and start with him to the cave in the mountains. Killer Whale would escape and return to the water. Thunderbird would catch him again, all the time flashing lightning from his eyes and flapping his wings with a terrible noise. Mountains were shaken by the noise, and trees were uprooted in the struggles. Again and again, Killer Whale escaped. Again and again, Thunderbird seized him. Many times they fought in different places in the mountains. At last, Killer Whale escaped to the middle of the ocean, and Thunderbird gave up the fight. That is why Killer Whales live in the deep ocean today. That is why there are many prairies in the midst of the forests on the Olympic Peninsula. The prairies are the places where Thunderbird and Killer Whale fought so hard that they uprooted trees. So that one seems like kind of the traditional, like, describing why the land and geography is the way it is stories, right? And we see a lot of those where it's like, you know, X mountain fought with this mountain over here, and that's why Mount St. Helens top blew up or something, or why the rocks are so far away oh yeah and like you know mount um or kolshan or um and and shuxin you know kolshan is mount baker right kolshan's mount baker 
um, he had he had uh, two wives, <laughs> and so they uh, eventually things didn't work out, and that's why there's other there's other couple peaks because that's that's his wives. Okay, so yeah, is is that kind of what this story is talking about? Like, this is literally why the the Olympic Peninsula looks the way it does, and also why orcas live out way in the ocean. Yeah, because they're avoiding um, Thunderbird, and um, that's why there's certain valleys and dips and, um, I guess, uh, barren parts to these huge forests. Yeah, it said prairies. Prairies. There we go. That's right. That's the word. Um, yeah, and th- it also says that's why you should avoid going to those huge ice uh, caps, I guess, because um, they might fall apart on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took that as like a Thunderbird was sending like avalanches down toward the hunters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, like with the Vikings, hearing lightning and thunder, that's like the the Thor's hammer raining down Mjolnir, right? Oh, right. So is, is Thunderbird similar to Thor then? Like, is he often associated with thunder and lightning? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's two stories in a row where he did something with lightning. Thunder, Thunderbird, yep, that's it thunder and lightning that's right all right is there anything else i'm missing from that story no did you have any questions about it no i feel like that one was pretty self-explanatory unlike the uh the well the coyote one was pretty self-explanatory uh the northern lights one is still confusing me a little bit but okay yeah so this one's a little bit better this one seems very straightforward okay well then let's move on to the final story of the night how raven helped the ancient people. Long ago, near the beginning of the world, Grey Eagle was the guardian of the sun and moon and stars, of fresh water and of fire. Grey Eagle hated people so much that he kept these things hidden. People lived in darkness, without fire and without fresh water. Grey Eagle had a beautiful daughter, and Raven fell in love with her. At the time, Raven was a handsome young man. He changed himself into a snow-white bird, and as a snow-white bird, he pleased Grey Eagle's daughter. She invited him to her father's lodge. When Raven saw the sun and the moon and the stars and fresh water hanging on the sides of Eagle's lodge, he knew what he should do. He watched for his chance to seize them when no one was looking. He stole all of them and a brand of fire also and flew out of the lodge through the smoke hole. As soon as Raven got outside, he hung the sun up in the sky It made so much light that he was able to fly far out to an island in the middle of the ocean. When the sun set, he fastened the moon up in the sky and hung the stars around in different places. By this new light, he kept on flying, carrying with him the fresh water and the brand of fire he had stolen. He flew back over the land. When he had reached the right place, he dropped all the water he had stolen. It fell to the ground and there became the source of all the freshwater streams and lakes in the world. Then Raven flew on, holding the brand of fire in his bill. The smoke from the fire blew black over his white feathers and made them black. When his bill began to burn, he had to drop the fire brand. It struck rocks and went into the rocks. That is why, if you strike two stones together, fire will drop out. Raven's feathers never became white again after they were blackened by the smoke from the firebrand. That is why Raven is now a blackbird. I like that story because it explains so many things in one story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I particularly like the thing about 
he dropped the fire onto the rocks. And that's why if you strike rocks together, it creates fire. Well, that's also an interesting way to think about it, that the fire is trapped inside the rocks. Yeah. At first, when you started reading that, I thought it was going to have to do with like lava and volcanoes or something. Uh, But I kind of like this better. Well, on all, thanks for uh, talking story with me. Oh, you're just ending my show now? What, you got somewhere to be? No, definitely not. I mean, we can keep talking. Wait, no, I, I just, I realized there was one other thing that I, I wanted to get you to talk about on the record Oh, well, oh. Um, that I didn't address earlier. And I'm sorry that we didn't read any stories about them. But do you remember when we were, we saw the trailer for that movie Antlers? Yes. And it's about Wendigos, I think. I still haven't seen it because I'm yeah. not going to a movie theater. But you had mentioned that, you know, you don't understand why it's always Wendigos who get the movies. Like, why not Kushtakas? Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I. Kushtakas are my so, favorite. So can you tell the listeners what a Kushtaka is and why we should start telling stories about them instead of Wendigos? Well, Kushtakas are land otter men or land otter people um and it's different from a sea otter so they're wait is a land otter a real animal yes yeah oh it is or sorry you could say river otter oh okay so Um, river otter not sea otters but nah but it's land otter but what does it look like so it looks like um it has an otter head and um but it'd be like if you combined an otter face with your face so it's kind of you kind of have the the shape of a head um their their front two arms come out of their chest they have a tail and they have fur that has a million hairs per, per square inch um all over the body super soft um reddish brown kind of and whiskers um very good swimmers but they also have canoes um and they are like people but they have supernatural abilities um they they're not supposed to go out during the day because raven will kill them raven's such a champ yeah (laughs) yeah um but they have and they what they do is the 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 most typical legend is that or i guess myth is that um they come to save you if you're drowning ever at sea but they don't really save you right they do they no. they save your life they, they do- save your life but then you become one of them right yes yes which so is they, like worse than dying right but they imitate someone that you know and they always you know they always imitate other people that have been known to have drowned in the past but their body was never recovered hmm. because they became a kushtaka so then what happens after they save you then you become one of them and and you become under their under their trance and you get turned into first an otter then a land otter man which is what a kushtaka is so why do you feel like this needs to be the subject of stories uh because it's so much more compelling and complex than a wendigo i think really okay so um wendigos are more like midwest right like, are I, they super prevalent sure. in Coast Salish legends? I haven't ne- read any about I, them. I've never heard of Wendigo and Coast Salish stuff. I mean, we have similar demons that are called Sitkas, I think. Yeah, Sitka. And is the theme with, or the, the like the common thread with Wendigos that they basically turn you into a cannibal? 
Yeah, so I've I've seen like their their ant they like kind of turn into m- like morphed um deers and you have like a deer skull and antlers and but you have a humanoid body with claws and you eat people and the way you get that is um a wendigo spirit takes over your body and you eat someone and then you turn into a wendigo or and, and there's other versions too but it, it always revolves around cannibalism yeah okay um and then our kushtaka is like very specific to coast salish lore yeah particularly um uh Klingit and haida myths so like up towards alaska okay but it does go farther south yeah um, and what is so scary to you about Kushtakas? Um, Because they're just like you and I. They're people in them, of themselves. Some of them um, like to go on raids and collect more numbers. Some of them are peaceful. I guess that's why they're so interesting is because like people, uh, you don't know what you're dealing with. Okay, I can get behind that. I think they just have an imaging problem, though, if you want them to be scary, because otters are not scary looking. Well, okay, so think think of... Um, All I'm seeing when I try to picture, like, uh, an otter mixed with a human is, like, something from the TV show Grimm, and it's not really working for me. Yeah, I, I'd say think of... Um, oh, okay, so what do you picture when you picture Sasquatch? <laughs> oh, also, speaking of Sasquatch, that's also an, an Indian legend, too, that... A lot of people don't really know about for some reason. I didn't know it was an Indian legend. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I feel bad for making fun of people who believe in Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, many tribes have specific words for them um, and have that's where the legend comes from is the Pacific Northwest. Okay. But yeah, when I think of Sasquatch, I am also not particularly afraid. I think it's no. the hair. Yeah. Okay. So, Furry things aren't scary. So okay. What about think of think of a werewolf? Ooh, like yeah. Think why of, does a werewolf work, but an otter doesn't? Well, because wolves are scary. They have sharp teeth. Otters have have paws and claws, and um, they they have sharp teeth. They have canines. They eat meat. Um, they they just don't have a long snout. They have a flat face. Maybe like that's it. Flat face things aren't scary. So yeah. So think of a where they're they're just as fast as werewolves um you know they can run on all fours they can survive uh, in land their legs are like this like well well because because you're thinking of otter you're not really thinking of them as like you think it's just a big otter which it's not a big otter. (laughs) i'm just picturing a big otter and i'm like oh that sounds so cute come over here it's a humanoid otter which would look (laughs) terrifying if it was running at you especially if if you're out in the woods by yourself and then you start hearing a baby crying and you Ooh. go and you run and you're trying to help this baby but then oh my oh my word it's a otter man ch- grabs you and pulls you under the water okay i'm on board with um with a kashtaka movie but i feel like the director needs to make sure that you never actually see the kashtaka <laughs> like the baby crying the you know hearing the voice of your long lost loved one while you're drowning that stuff's all very creepy but we can't get the full, like, otter picture unless they find a way to, like, CGI it to look really scary. I, I still yeah. think Wendigos win this round. <clears throat> but the psychological terror of the Kushtaka is know. very real. Have you ever heard of a Wachuga? Those are pretty scary. It's a Wachuga. It's like a Wendigo. It's a 
demonic antler thing that eats you. I don't know. Um, I think Basket Woman's a lot more scary. Basket than... Woman sounds scary. Yeah. yeah. She's terrifying. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yeah. She's just like picking up little kids and chucking them in her basket. Yeah. And then walking out into the ocean. I don't know where she lives. Um, I, th- I always thought she lived in the woods, but she just hunted on the beach. Oh, okay. So disappearing into the forest. Yeah. That would be good. You know, a way to explain like missing children or something. Oh, Basket Woman got them. Yeah. Basket Woman got them. Okay. Well, is there anything else that uh, we need to cover? See, I'm trying to take back control of the show. You tried to end it earlier, and now I'm like, okay, now we can end it. Um, no, I, I think uh, Native American stories, you know, they're the best. If people want to, like, read more, do you have any, like, collections of stories that you recommend? Um, obviously, I prefer Coast Salish story so if you i don't know there's a lot of there's actually quite a lot of books out there if you look up uh coast salish myths and legends you'll find some really really good ones i i don't know i i've always preferred the coast salish um stories over other other types of stories like even if you go up to like inuit uh myths and legends or the like canadian tribes up there they have lots of good ones too um i don't know i just always preferred those for some reason well the reason is like you said earlier you're very tribal (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah definitely awesome well uh thank you so much for letting me uh recruit you to come fill in on an episode with me uh i really appreciate it and uh yeah let's go make dinner now i'm hungry oh yeah